Hi, Happy New Year. Um, You know who I am. This is Betsy Beers. I'm executive producer of Scandal, and welcome back in 2013 to Scandal Revealed, the official Scandal podcast, Beware of Imitators. They're terrifying and might imitate somebody's voice like mine, and that would be terrifying too. Um, We have a long-awaited guest who actually we tried to schedule right for the holidays, but Surprisingly enough, he was too busy doing his job, so he couldn't sit in my office and gab with me for a while. But he's here and back, which is awesome. You may remember him from Grey's Anatomy and the podcast on Grey's Anatomy. This is Mark Wilding, who is an executive producer of Scandal. As is our tradition, I'm going to tell you what uh, Mark is wearing. Mark is wearing an incredibly peppy striped shirt that it looks, it's, it's pretty chic. I'm saying it's a, it's a good line. It's nice. It's blue. It's got blue and green and white stripes. And he's wearing a pair of pants, I have to say, are very spiffy. They're kind of a forest green, and they go really, really well with his shirt. Um, and they set off his eyes, which were a very poppy blue. And my miner's cap is at the cleaners, so I'm not wearing that today, but I am in a nun's habit. Let's talk about the episode first, right, which is kind of an amazing episode, One for the Dog. One for the Dog is, uh, it's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for us to sort of break in the room and come up with, because uh, the challenge was what to do with the president uh, still in a coma, and, <laughs> and how to keep our people sort of involved in it, and, and, and the idea that sort of Melly and Cyrus were going to sort of try to run their own shadow government. We wanted to, so we thought was a little absurd, but it sort of has uh, precedence in, you know, in U.S. history. And we mentioned that in the, in the episode. Absolutely. With, uh, Woodrow Wilson's wife or somebody who, who ran the country for a couple of years after he had a stroke. So we were, we were aiming to sort of do that and keep it believable, too. You also, I mean, it's reminiscent for a lot of listeners won't rem- remember this, but I remember... Al Haig, the I'm in control here when President Reagan was shot. And there was a whole brouhaha about this because the the seeming approach here was that he was taking over and he was taking over control. And in fact, what you sort of suspected was, indeed, that's exactly what was going on at the time. So I think it must be, it's sort of reminiscent and really believable that you know, a shadow group would get together to try to actually keep the government going. Yeah, there's a line of succession, but that doesn't mean that other people, you know, feel that they can't sort of uh, chip in and, uh, and <laughs> get help in their out licks. and, you know, get in their licks and see what they can do while the president's, uh, you know, lying in a coma. Uh, in the case of Al Haig, of course, you know, Reagan had been shot and the question was, what kind of condition was he in and was he going to be able to govern? And the same thing for, for Fitzgerald Grant. And when you have two dominant personalities like Cyrus and Melly, um, you know, they want to have their say. Well, and I think what's really, first of all, the, the extreme circumstances, you also have Sally, who is this other kind of fly in the ointment because she's actually now made herself president. And she seems to be, which is super clear in this episode, she's doing absolutely everything opposite to the way that Fitz would do it, which is those meetings all about, she, she's not just going to bomb. It's pretty much nuclear from her point of view. Yeah, she wants to sort of move in and show the world who's in charge. And I think (laughs) part of that is it's it's a little bit the underdog mentality. You know, while I've got the power, I'm going to show them that I can can be even more powerful than the guy that occupied this office before me. I think also one of my favorite moments is when you realize what Melly's done. It's it's near the very beginning, but there's this amazing moment where like like us, like we're incredibly excited for Olivia, the president's awake, it's all gonna be great. You walk in and Medley's sitting there with this expression like, oh, I've done something incredibly bad. And she says, what did you do? And it's, it's just unbelievably delicious and 
kind of terrifying at the same time. Yeah, that's the problem when you have very smart people, I think, uh, sort of at in power or near power. It's sort of like uh, they feel they can sort of do just about anything, be it in real life or on our show. The episode's great because we all, well, look, we all love Huck. Everyone loves Huck. Every woman wants to take care of Huck. Every guy hopes that Huck blows away somebody for them. And I think given the fact that so much of the episode is both about, okay, how do we keep the secret under wraps, but saving Huck, that that sort of story drive of saving Huck throughout and what you see Huck go through in the beginning is pretty grisly. Oh, it's, it's extremely grisly. And, um, you know, kudos to ABC for letting us show what, you know, torture can be like, and it, it, or because or enhanced interrogation techniques. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they came in at one point just to show show him to us, the writers, what he was going to look like, and we were already horrified, having not even seen it on on TV yet. What he, and he was just a bloody pulp. Uh, and I thought all the action stuff, the the way they sort of tortured him with the waterboarding, uh, hitting him across the face, the blood splatter, it was all just very visceral to me, and uh, it was great. It's, these are two episodes sort of back-to-back with amazingly intense, emotionally riveting scenes. I mean, obviously, in this episode, you have that, in, those intense torture scenes, and the episode before, hence the title of this episode, you have that horrifying and incredibly upsetting scene where Huck goes through and realizes the family's, the family's been shot. Um, I really appreciate that you guys called this one for the dog. <laughs> that Huck has that line right before essentially Becky gets Yeah, when Be- Becky says all the way to the Hooskow. Yeah, you're gonna put four bullets in me and then he says, No, five, one for the dog. Uh, because that, you know, when we actually shot that scene uh, in the previous episode, most of the people were sort of they were horrified by what Becky had done to the family, but they were even more horrified by what happened to the dog. And, and it's funny because you mentioned uh, Becky. And my, one of my sort of favorite little moments in One for the Dog is the scene on the roof. Oh, yeah. Where, where Huck has sort of now, uh, you know, he's fooled Becky into thinking the president is going to be leaving the hospital to go to Camp David. He's not. She's there to, to, to shoot him. And then she realizes Huck has put one over on her. And then as they're sort of both being taken into custody, uh, by the feds, um, she says, it's Kate. My name is Kate. And, uh, and it's such a vulnerable moment for her. And, and for, you know, poor Huck, who then says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And you, you get the feeling that's, that's what sort of Huck's life is, has been all about, that he has these moments of getting very close to people or almost close to people, but in the end he sort of, it's too late. Yeah, and I think it ties in so nicely with that episode with the spies, Spies Like Us, where we... We learned kind of the depth of how lonely and solitary Huck was, given his nickname, that this whole relationship with Becky is so heartbreaking. I mean, from the moment that he realizes that she's totally, he's been had and he's never been had before. And that in a weird way, you're kind of in this very twisted way, you rooted for them as a couple, you know, and that the whole thing gets blown apart. One of the most amazing things about the show that you guys do is the way the tone can change so fast is it's amazing to watch and you go on this trip and it's it's somehow or another you guys make it seem really easy but those shifts in tone and also how unexpectedly you're rooting for something you would not possibly have thought to be possible like 
you know, you want Huck to get vengeance in certain situations. There have been situations where Huck has gone in and taken care of business where I'm going, yay, Huck. And then you stop and you think, what's wrong with me? Is this, is this okay? Well, I think that's sort of the, the sort of one of the uh, driving tenets of the show is that the idea that you're sort of always rooting for things maybe in your heart you feel you shouldn't be rooting for or in your brain you feel you shouldn't be rooting for, but in your heart you are. Uh, you know, be it Huck and Becky getting together or being it, being an Olivia getting together with a married man, the president. Yep. Um, you know, so that's always like, how do we make it so that you're really pulling for, for something that you, maybe in, in a regular life, you wouldn't pull for? I think it's because the characters are so real. I mean, honestly, you guys always start with the characters. And when I think about the trajectory of the show, how you started last season, and how you really kind of eased people into the tone and who people were and why we like them and what their backstory is, which by about episode six last year we sort of knew, then it's sort of like you you kind of went from zero to 60, which was phenomenal because we were all with you and ready and had already invested in the characters. So you'll sort of go on any trip with them now. Yeah, you will. And it's funny because I, I remember I talked to Jeff Perry, who plays Cyrus on the show, and uh, he said after a couple episodes last season, the first couple of episodes in the first season, he thought, Oh, I'm going to be the moral center of this show. And then it became clear <laughs> oh my God. that that was a miscalculation on his part. What a shock. Uh, what a shock. But he's truly enjoying the role now as somebody who will sort of do what he has to do uh, for the president and for the presidency. You know, it's kind of redefining what the moral center means, mm -hmm. I think. Yes, that's <laughs> it's, true. It's, it's an amoral center. It may still be a moral center. It's just a different kind of moral center, probably. A lot of what you guys are working with are either based on real things, things you know have happened, or are speculative but in a realistic way. Is that appropriate or a fair way of putting no, it? No, that's very true. And I think we just sort of take, uh, you know, we take a story. We did a story earlier this season about uh, a corporate takeover. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we sort of extracted it to make it sort of entertaining in that he was a 75-year-old man with a 25-year-old wife. One of the most noticeable kisses yeah, one of the in most the history noticeable. of, of yeah. television. We, we scripted that. We scripted a tongue kiss. It was written in. Yeah. So we were proud of that. Um, and we, but we take, you know, these stories and we just sort of extrapolate them to make them how, you know, something out of real life, something relatable, but how do you make it truly entertaining for the audience? For a lot of people who listen, they don't really understand how a writer's room works. They don't understand how you guys all work mm -hmm. together. Shonda created the show, continues to run the show, but how, how does, how do you guys all interact? What's, how does a script come about? My job as a head writer in the writer's room is to sort of make Shonda's job easier for her. In the writer's room, we're trying to sort of move it ahead so that, uh, and come up with stories, figure out the character, character arcs, um, have things that we can, so that when she comes into the room, we can sort of pitch out you know, ideas that we have for stories, things that she cottons to and likes, and then sort of just round out a story that we find ourselves interesting or, mm -hmm. or put our characters in situations that we find interesting. Uh, last year, for instance, you know, we thought, well, we've got this character, Huck. What about if we came up with Lady Huck? What would a Lady Huck look like? <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, so we came up with the idea of Lady Huck, and then Shonda was, Shonda was the one who then said, well, what about if Lady Huck is a fellow assassin, but we don't find that out for several episodes? See, that's, that's great. And also, I mean, one of certainly... The things, having worked with Shonda for so long, too, I know that she almost always knows to some degree kind of vaguely what the arc of a season's going to be. Like, you, you tend to, because there's, so people understand we 
there's the overarching where are we going over the course in this show of anywhere from six to nine episodes. And then there's the week to week of figuring out what each episode is. And for this show, it's complicated because there are three layers. It's the overarching love affair story, big story of Olivia and the president and what the heck's going on there. The whatever the scandal is that kind of arches over that series of episodes. And then there's those sort of mini stories, which are the little plots, which are the corporate takeover and the madam. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of juggling to do. So it seems like a lot of what you guys are doing is it's a very complicated puzzle of how all of those things weave together, right? Yeah, it's very complicated. And uh, we're always, it's, in fact, I, at first I thought this was too complicated. I can't handle it. Uh, <laughs> but it's, you know, we sort of, form these shows and ideas. We have a couple of sort of broad ideas. We knew this season, for instance, that there would be some election rigging. There would be, and that would be, that was sort of a general idea that we had. Uh, we didn't know who was involved with it, uh, you know, and then we, we sort of came up with the idea of uh, maybe having uh, Hollis, uh, who's the, you know, the, the sort of businessman from Texas, and then Verna, who's the Supreme Court Justice, and the idea of having them involved in it and and having you know some, one of our one of our sort of Illuminati, as the fans call them, sort of be behind the election rigging, and that's still up in the air. We I don't think people you know necessarily know completely who, who it could be. Absolutely. To what extent who and what is involved right now? We know that there's certainly the election rigging was revealed. We don't know exactly how it's going to resolve with David and with the the, the end result of that, but. I definitely think it seems like your guys' plan is that we will know all that in about two to three episodes, right? We will we will have that uh, all resolved. We'll know uh, sort of about the president's assassination. Uh, we'll know all the details of that or the attempted assassination. We'll know uh, about the election rigging. That will all sort of come to light, and that will uh, within the next two or three episodes. Because the idea that we do that we like on this show is that. We want to answer everybody's questions. Um, that's very important to us, that we don't sort of leave things hanging, uh, that we can sort of tease people for, for a number of episodes, but that at the end is sort of a satisfying experience for the audience in that, you know, everything is explained. Everything is explained, but I also have to say, everything's explained, and usually there's something that definitely leaves you hanging to start the next group of episodes. And I think that's the case with this one, too because I think there are one or two surprises coming up which will truly rock your world. <laughs> I, I think that's a very fair statement. Right? That's, yep, I think, absolutely. I think, I, think so. I, I think so. Is there any character you really love to write? Uh, I love Huck. I, I have to say, <laughs> I mean, I just love Huck because he's very dry and what he says is sort of like I find to be uh, just kind of funny. And it's, it's, it's very... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I find him enjoyable. Actually, if you spend time with Mark, you will actually notice there's there's a big similarity uh, in your attitudes. Not, I think, in the use of power drills. I think mm -hmm. you only use them to put up pictures in your house. But as I far actually, as I know, I have my wife uh, use them. I'm you know I'm <laughs> the creative one in the house. Yeah. <laughs> really there's also just another fact in closing. I'm going to let you guys know is that um, Mark has a nickname here that um, we all love and we all use endlessly, and it's a, it's sort of unclear exactly where it came from, but we like to call him the Hammer. And um, if you meet Mark Wilding, he's the least hammerish guy you'll meet in a lot of ways, but that's what's so wonderful about the nickname is he actually does have a way of wielding the hammer in the nicest, 
kind of most gentlemanlike possible way that um, I've, I've witnessed. Well, uh, thank you, Betsy. And uh, yes, I think the nickname <laughs> was given to me sort of ironically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was a tad of irony in there, uh -huh. but he does know how to, it's a different, yeah. it's a velvet hammer. I it's think. a velvet hammer. hammer. Okay, I'll, I'll Maybe work on Maybe a velvet hammer. That exactly. would be good. It's kind of gross. For the but, new year. Yeah, exactly. I'll be the velvet hammer now. <laughs> well, we're very excited about Nets Week, primarily because the title of next week's episode is one of my personal favorites, a criminal, a whore, an idiot, and a liar, mm -hmm. which you will find is a direct quotation from the very beginning of the episode. I think a lot of the questions that we're asking, a lot of the how is this going to work, things get resolved and questions get answered in this episode. I think you're going to meet somebody from Fitz's past who's going to be incredibly it's going to be very revealing and revelatory, and there is going to be a very large reveal. So I think it's incredibly important and key that you guys all tune in, because hopefully you're tuning in. And we're really, really excited to talk to you about that episode next week when we come back. Um, thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Hopefully I can find my way back here sometime. Please keep watching. I am now the, I finally did it, and I'm now on Twitter. So if for some reason you guys need to tweet, I'm, I'm just learning how to do it, so you have to be really, really patient. I'm not tweeting very much yet because it's sort of frightening me. But you were, you, some people sent me some really nice tweets about not being frightened. So thank you for that. And I'm going to try to tweet more. But if you have anything, please, you can find me on, I think it's Beers Betsy. And I'm attached to all the scandal stuff. But you'll see there's a little perky blonde picture that pops up. And you'll be able to find me. And I really, really appreciate you guys listening. So... We'll tune in next week after the next episode of Criminal, a Whore, an Idiot, and a Liar, which are phrases occasionally, I think, that we've all used and sometimes, I'm sure, have been used to describe me, too. So there you, so there you go. Have, have a really, really good week, and we'll be talking next week. This is Scandal Revealed, the official podcast for Scandal. I'm Betsy Beers. Thank you for listening.